Good morning, everybody, again. Um, as I've said this morning, we're going to start a series on the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. And we're going to start this Sunday with one of the Beatitudes. We'll just look at one verse, and I pray and hope that the Holy Spirit will speak to us even through this one verse among the eight Beatitudes. Can I invite you to stand up, please, as we give honor to the public reading of the Word of God. So let's read Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that brings light unto our path, O Lord. I pray, Lord, that this direction that you've given us, O Lord, throughout this year, to train, to exercise unto godliness, will be fruitful, O Lord. We know, Lord, that we cannot train ourselves to be like you, Lord, just by our own strength and effort. We need your abundant, your overflowing grace to dwell in us, to be with us always, so that we can accomplish this very important goal. I know, Lord, that it will not only take a year, it will take the rest of our life to do this. But help us, Lord, to start to train unto godliness. And thank you, Lord, for this first beatitude that, that we're going to study this morning. I pray that you will speak to our hearts and convict us, challenge us to what you want us, O oh Lord, to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may sit down. Happy are the spiritually bankrupt, and that's the passage for all of us this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As I've said in the Sunday school during uh, in the Sunday school hour, the beatitudes are the beatitudes. These are the attitudes or the characteristic of God that He wants us to have also in order to be conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. So. For us, the main point this morning is, in order for us to live as kingdom citizens, we ought to delight in our spiritual bankruptcy. To live as kingdom citizens, we ought to delight in our spiritual bankruptcy. We're going to look at five important points in this uh, verse. First, we're going to look at the meaning of spiritual bankruptcy. And then secondly, why is it first? Why is it on top of the list of the eight Beatitudes? And then thirdly, how do we achieve it? How can we be spiritually bankrupt? And fourthly, how to, do we know if we are spiritually bankrupt? And lastly, what are the results or the reward of spiritual bankruptcy? So let's go to the first one. What is the meaning of spiritual bankruptcy? Okay. The word or the phrase used by the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3 is poor in spirit. He did not say poor in physical things. Because what is important in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in the kingdom of heaven, is not the material things but the spiritual life. And he talks about spiritually poor people rather than the materially poor people. Because his kingdom is not of this world but his kingdom is of heaven. The word poor in spirit here, or the phrase means to shrink, to cower, or to cringe, just like what beggars do. 
If you look at some, perhaps not here in, in Canada, but in other parts of the world, you see beggars are, are folded, okay? They are cringing, they are cowering, they are, they are sitting down, and, and because especially if there's cold weather, they feel very cold and chilly, so they are really, um, um, fold, their arms are folded, their legs are folded, and they have blankets and everything else that they need in order to warm themselves. But essentially, it's not the posture of the poor person that is important here, according to Lord Jesus Christ. It's the character. He is spiritually poor. That means he's dependent upon God. He's like a beggar asking the Lord God for everything that he needs. And this word poor is also mentioned in one of the parables in Luke chapter 16. Okay, so let's turn to Luke chapter 16. If you remember, this is the story about Lazarus and the rich man. Okay? Luke chapter 16, just look at verse 20. Okay? Luke chapter 16 in verse 20. It says here, and Jesus Christ was telling this story. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. So take note of the word beggar. That word beggar is the same as the word poor in spirit in Matthew 5, verse 3. And here, we know that Lazarus, if you read the story, Lazarus was essentially a poor person, materially speaking. But more than that, he was a poor person spiritually. Why? Because he was not only begging for the things that he needs, like food, uh, clothing, and shelter, but he was begging God for grace and mercy. And that is essentially one of the character of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like what I've said this morning in the Sunday school time, these beatitudes or these characteristics are the attitudes or the features of a person who is already a saved person, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't become saved by being poor in spirit. You are, because you are saved, you are already spiritually bankrupt. You are begging for God, God's help and God's grace. So a person who is poor in spirit is essentially completely dependent on God for support, for strength, and for sustenance. And take note of the word sustenance. The word sustenance comes from the word sustain, right? So our being poor in the spirit, our being dependent upon God should not only be on a one-time basis. It's not only for one day, but it's all throughout our lives. That's why this beatitude is mentioned in the present tense. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's in the present tense because it's going on and on and on until we, we pass on from this life to heaven. Because we are, when we are in heaven, we will no longer be truly spiritually bankrupt. Because we will be totally rich because we are in heaven already. But for the meantime, as people, as God's people who are poor in spirit, we are to be dependent on God for everything else. And sometimes we go the way of the world. Instead of depending on God and asking advice from Him, where do we get our advices? We get our advices from people who don't know God, especially on the spiritual things. We ask people, how should I decide regarding my job? 
I'm going to be promoted with this job, but this job is much best, better for me as a Christian. So how do I decide? We go to people who don't know Christ rather than go to our brothers and sisters in Christ or even to the pastor. And much more importantly, we don't go to God sometimes. Uh, I have one, I told you this last week, one of my high school batchmates uh, works in the casino in the Philippines and he just became a Christian. And because, you know, gambling is a no-no in the Bible because that's part of the get-rich-quick scheme, as Christians, we ought not to be involved in those kinds of jobs. And it was his conviction uh, to get out of this job as soon as possible. And God helped him make the right decision. Because right now, I think uh, PagCore, that gaming, uh, gaming uh, institution in the Philippines, is going to be shut down as a, as a government institution. It will be privatized, uh, I think, in ne by next year. So he will be, and other people will be retired and will be given severance pay by the government. And he was being given uh, two uh, another opportunity, if you are retired from, from this, but you can be absorbed in another institution, but still the same thing. It's like a casino. It's gambling still. So he told me, Pastor, I'm really um, convicted not to go through with this. I'll just follow the lead of God and rather than go to another um, position, which is again about gambling and so on and so forth. And I gave him counsel and he made the decision, Pastor, I'm going to follow what, what you told me because I know that this is a godly counsel from, God, from God's word and so on. And he was so happy. Uh, initially, he was so worried because he's the only breadwinner in the family and he still has a college um, uh, student in his family, uh, her daughter, his daughter. And he, initially, he was worried, but I told him, you know, if you follow the Lord God and, you, and His plan for your life, He's going to honor that. And the same applies to all of us also. When we follow the advice of the Lord God and we, see, we, say, we say to the Lord, Lord, I'm spiritually poor. I don't know what to do. I need your help. He will help you because He delights in that. He delights for all his people to seek wisdom from him rather than seeking wisdom from the world. So at that point in time, my high school, high school batchmate was depending on the Lord himself. And that's what I want each one of us, to be completely dependent on the Lord in every aspect of our life. Seek decisions that will honor and glorify the Lord. Being poor in spirit is also meaning to see ourselves as lost people. We know that we are still lost apart from God himself. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, we are lost. We are still wandering away from God like sheep. And not only that, we are hopeless without God. And that's why when we talk to people who are lost, hopeless, those who are not saved, be compassionate. Be merciful upon those people because they don't have the knowledge of God. They don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can understand that in the past, we are like them also. Apart from the grace of God, we can still be lost and hopeless. And we can be thankful because of God, we're no longer, we are no longer lost. 
He found us. We're no longer blind. Now we can see. Aside from being lost and hopeless, a, poor, a person who is poor in spirit is also helpless. Right? A beggar is completely helpless. Just like Lazarus, he needed help from many, many people, and especially from God. When we were lost, we need help. We cannot get help from, from ourselves, from the people, even from this church. This church cannot save you. I cannot save you. You cannot save yourself. No one can save you but only Jesus Christ. So ap apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are helpless. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, the Bible tells us more, in a, in a more descriptive way, who are these poor in spirit uh, people. Isaiah 66, verse 2 says, For all those things has mine, mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. And listen, But to this man will I look. The word look here means the Lord is going to regard and respect and grant favor upon these people. Even to him that is poor, take note poor, of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. So three important things, he said. These are the people that I'm going to have my grace upon and my favor. These people are poor spiritually. These people are brokenhearted. They are contrite and repentant. And lastly, they fear my word. They cower, they cringe upon hearing the word of God. He did not say, he did not say, this man will I look, people who are rich materially, people who are proud, or people who just disregard and neglect and ignore my word. He said, the opposite is true. I will look upon you, I will regard you. If you are poor spiritually, if you are repentant, if you fear my word. Are you here right now? Do you hear the word? Do you fear the word of God? Do you fear him? The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you want to have more wisdom in your life, in making decisions, wherever you, you are in school or in the workplace or wherever you are in your home, you need to have the fear of the Lord. You need the right, the appropriate honor and respect for the Lord God himself. Psalm 34, 18 also tells us the same thing. The Lord is nigh or near unto them that are of a broken heart and save it such as be of a contrite spirit. So again, broken-hearted spirit which are contrite and repentant towards the Lord. Those are the people that God will show his favor upon. In Psalm 51 verse 17, the psalm that was um, written by King David, after he committed adultery and murder against Bathsheba and Uriah, and of course against the Almighty God. He said this in Psalm 51, verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So you see, God will not despise. God loves those people who have broken spirits those who have contrite and repentant hearts. And that's why God loves those people who are poor in spirit. 
those who are like beggars, spiritual beggars, in front of him. Secondly, those who are poor in spirit is mentioned as number one in the list of Beatitudes. Why is it on top of the list? Why is it not number two or number eight of all the Beatitudes? The reason why is that being poor in spirit is the foundation of all other gifts or or blessings in the Bible. It's a basic element in becoming a Christian, in becoming saved. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. Why is it that being poor in spirit, being spiritually bankrupt, is on top of the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially for those people who are wanting to become a Christian? Matthew 18, verses 3 and 4, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So you see here, the Lord Jesus Christ gives another description for those people who are poor in spirit. These are essentially the humble people. The people who are abased in this world. Like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God loves or God uses those who are abased in the world rather than those who are proud and exalted in the world that we live in. Why is it important for us to know that we are poor in spirit before we understand that we can become Christians? Why do we need to be humble enough to become Christian? I'm not saying that you need to be humble in order, to be, in order for you to be saved, but humility is part of becoming a Christian. You know why? Because if you are proud, which is the opposite of humility, would you think you'll become a beggar asking for God's help, asking for God's forgiveness? Of course not. Have you seen the proud people? Have you seen yourself before you become a Christian, when you were still proud with what you can do, with who you are in your life, in this world? You don't need God. You don't want God. You don't seek God. But the moment that He and you encounter Jesus Christ and He seeks you and finds you, you become humble in front of Him and you want to seek Him. You want to be dependent upon Him alone. You know what? You cannot be filled until you are empty. Right? If you are not empty, you feel that you are full of yourselves, then you will not think or acknowledge that you are empty. So how can you be filled if you are empty? How can you be worthy in the eyes of Christ if you don't recognize that you are unworthy before God? When we trusted in Jesus Christ, when we come before Him, we know that we are unworthy. And that's why we, we pray like this, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Because I'm not worthy to be in front of you. I'm not worthy to be forgiven of all my sins. It's all because of your grace and all your mercy. We cannot live until we admit that we are dead. We know that we, when we are still lost, we are dead people. 
I remember Brother Ronnie when we were praying um, last Wednesday night. He, he, he says that we want to reach out to the lost people because they are just like walking dead people. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a show in, on TV right now. It's called Walking Dead, right? But those are zombies. But essentially, if you make a comparison, the lost people, just like all of us before we become Christians, we're like zombies. We are just walking dead people, spiritually dead. Why? Because we're just following our own way and, and also the world's ways. And we are going down the path of hell, the lake of fire. We are going to the direction that is lost, hopeless, helpless. But now we have found the way, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, we are no longer dead, but we are alive. Remember, who quickens us? I love that word in the King James. He quickens us by the Spirit. He makes us alive. Yes, we're, going still, we're still going to die physically, but when we die, it's just like sleeping, just for a second, or even less than a second you will wake up in heaven seeing the face of our beautiful and wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why that song, when we all get to heaven, should always ring into our hearts. We should always be singing that. When we all get to heaven, it doesn't say if we all get to heaven. There's no more if for us Christians. When we all get to heaven, it's only the time when we get to heaven, because that's a certainty. Remember, I told you this morning, the Beatitudes, the blessings of the Beatitudes are not just uh, probabilities that perhaps you can have this. No, everything in the Christian life is a certainty. God has given us great and gracious promises so that we can be like our Lord Jesus Christ. And because God has given us an inheritance up there in heaven, reserved for us, kept for all of us by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we can be certain that we're going to heaven. We're going to be alive in heaven. No, those problems that we have right now, heart problems, diabetes, uh, polyps, and everything else, those will be gone when we are in heaven. We will be spiritually rich up there in heaven. But of course, I'm not saying that we are totally spiritually poor. We are also spiritually rich because we have all the blessings of God as Christians. We may think that we are not just blessed as the rich people in the world, uh, but we know that true riches is not about material wealth. True riches is about your spiritual and your relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right now, in, when you go to um, bookstores or sometimes online, when you look at Christian books, there's not much offering about the Bible or about probably being spiritually poor or all those things about the character of a Christian. You can see many Christian books right now, and sometimes I hear some preaching. How can you be happy? How can you be successful? Or how do you overcome problems? Of course, we need those things also. But there's too much emphasis on those worldly and earthly things. We don't talk much about how can he, I become godly? How can I become more like the Lord Jesus Christ? How can I develop the character of God? 
in my life. And that's the problem. There's too much superficiality in the teachings, in the pulpit. We need to go deeper. Remember when we are still Christian babes, infants, we need only milk, right? As physical infants, we need milk because we can, our intestines cannot, our stomach cannot digest meat and other harder foods. But you don't remain as infants and babes. How many of you have been Christians for a long time now? Perhaps 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and sometimes perhaps some of you 50 years already as a Christian. Have you grown? Or are still a spiritual babe? God wants all of us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to go deeper in the teachings of the Word of God. There's this church in, um, in Revelation chapter 3, and it's called the church in Laodicea. And many people would call this church as the lukewarm church, or the church that Jesus Christ would like to vomit out. Because he cannot stand the character of this congregation. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. Starting at verse 14. Revelation chapter 3 verse 14. The church in Laodicea. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, this thing said the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus Christ said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Can you imagine Jesus Christ telling you, you know you, an individual Christian, you're neither cold nor hot. You're just in the middle. You're like in the middle. You don't know if you're in the world or in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I want to vomit you out. That's the most insulting and disgusting thing that Jesus Christ could ever tell a believer of his. One of his people. Imagine God, Jesus Christ would say, I would like to vomit you out. Because you cannot decide. Are you of my kingdom or are you of the kingdom of the world? God wants you to make a stand. If you're truly saved, then go with his kingdom. Be passionate. Be on fire for him. I know it's cold outside, but our hearts can be warm and eager and be passionate for the Lord. Many people are lost in this world. What are we doing as individual Christians? What are we doing as a congregation? Are we reaching out to those people that we encounter every day and every moment of our life? When you go to school, when you are on a break, you meet with your schoolmates or classmates. Do you even talk about spiritual things to those people? When you're in the workplace on your, on your break time, do you talk to your clients? Do you talk to your co-workers about spiritual things? Usually you talk about, oh, did you, did you hear about the snow last Friday or last Thursday? Many people were stranded. And on and on and on and on. And we don't even get to talk to them about the importance of being saved. We need to keep that in mind. And that's why our main theme for the whole year is train unto godliness. Exercise 
yourselves unto godliness. And how do we exercise ourselves unto godliness? How can we become more godlike? Be more like Christ? Reach to the reach the lost people. Seek them. Because sometimes we pray, Lord, please bring people to our church. People will not just automatically go to our church. We need to go to them. That's what the Bible says. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. He said go to his people. He did not tell the lost people, go to this church. He wants us to go to them. Because they don't understand that they are lost. But we know that they are lost because we have been there. We have been in their shoes, in their situation. Just, just like the church in Laodicea, Jesus Christ said in verse 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So in the eyes of the church, of the congregation in Laodicea, they think that they are rich. They think they don't need anything, even the Lord Jesus Christ in their congregation. But Jesus Christ gave them the right perspective. You thought that you are rich. You thought that you don't need anything. I beg to differ, Jesus Christ said. You're actually poor. You are naked. You need me in your congregation. Do we need Jesus Christ in our congregation? Of course. He is the cornerstone, cornerstone, the foundation of every Christian and in every local church. We need to depend upon him. And that's why we need to be always spiritually poor, to be beggars in front of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why being poor in spirit is top of the list. If you are not poor in spirit, the other characteristics of the Beatitudes cannot be yours. It's hard to be meek. It's not to be hard to be peacemaker if you're not poor in spirit. So now the question is, how do we achieve spiritual bankruptcy? How can we achieve spiritual bankruptcy? We cannot achieve it by our own selves. We need the divine work through us. That's why when the Holy Spirit lives in us, He is the one making us more spiritually poor so that we can beg and beg and beg for the love of God, for the grace of God, and the mercy of God. But it doesn't mean that God is working through us that we don't need to do anything. This is the part in the Christian life wherein God works through us and in us, but we need to cooperate with God. So that cooperation is spelled obedience. So God wants us to be humble before Him, but we need to make an effort to be humble. So in the passage that we have read in Matthew 18 verse 4 a while ago, Jesus Christ said, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It was a command. Jesus Christ said, whoever shall humble himself. God gives us the capability to become humble, to be poor in spirit, but we need to make an effort to be humble. And I will give you the different steps on how we can humble ourselves in the next point. Okay? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, Jesus Christ said also, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself 
shall be exalted. That's why I said a while ago, the Beatitudes seem to be paradoxical. Because in Christ's kingdom, for you to be lifted up, to be promoted, you need to be humble. But in the world, in order to be promoted, you need to be proud. You need to be out there telling people, Oh, I'm great, I'm good. I'm beautiful and handsome. I have so many talents and capabilities. And then you will be exalted. But it's opposed to God's kingdom. God's kingdom said, you need to be humble in order to be lifted up. Even the Lord Jesus Christ showed that to us in John chapter 13. When after the Lord's Supper, what did he do? He stooped down, got a basin full of water, and then washed the feet of every disciple, including Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Jesus Christ showed the best way to humble yourself is to serve even the lowest person in the world. So you know, if you're serving the beggars of, of Richmond, those people who are homeless, those people who are more needy than you, you are humbling yourselves. You are a servant of that person. And ultimately, you are a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. In James chapter 4, verse 10, there's also a command. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So, being humble is commanded also to all of his people. And especially in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. To submit means to be humble. To go under the authority of the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, be clothed with humility. For God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. You can never see in the Bible that God gives grace to the proud. He always resists and opposes the proud. Remember the King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. He said at the, at the start of chapter 4, oh, all this Babylonian kingdom, the gardens and everything else, I have built all of these things. He forgot that all these things have been given to him by the Lord God himself. So at the end of Daniel chapter 4, what did God do? God brought him down. God humbled him, making him dwell in the, in the jungle, in the wild forest for about seven years. He lost his kingship. But the end of the seven years, he paid honor to the Lord God. He said, praise be to the Lord God who gave me all these things. The same with all of us, God's people. When you are acknowledged in your workplace, when you are acknowledged in the school, when you are given approval by your bosses, by your teachers, by your co-workers, always tell them, thank you, but more thanks to the Lord God who enabled me to achieve all those things. Always give credit to the Lord God because we don't own anything. We are just managers and stewards of everything that God has given us. So now let me give you the steps to spiritual bankruptcy. Number one, there are three things in order to become poor in spirit. Number one, turn your eyes off yourselves and look to God. There's a big problem. If you don't 
Look to God, but look at yourselves and look at other people. What happens? You get discouraged. You get disappointed. You get disgusted. But when you look to God, you will feel joyful. You will feel comforted. You will feel hopeful. You will be encouraged because God will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking. To look means to wait expectantly, to eagerly see Jesus Christ as your perfect example of someone who may not have lived a successful life in the standards of the world, but in the eyes of God, lived a successful life. Did you know that the word success is only mentioned once in the Bible? And it's mentioned in Joshua chapter 1. Why? Because the, the Lord God doesn't want us to dwell in the word success because success has an earthly connotation. God wants us to be successful in His eyes. And the only way we can do that is to look unto Jesus Christ. That despite the cross, the shameful cross that he experienced, in the eyes of people, he was a poor guy, a miserable guy. But in the eyes of God, he's the most exalted. The same with all of us. When we were up there in heaven, we'll be exalted in the eyes of God. Because we have endured, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, all kinds of difficulties and challenges in our life. Secondly, starve the flesh by removing the things on which it feeds. Remember the flesh? Our flesh would feed on what? Not only the physical food, but we feed on lust. We feed on the pride of life. We feed on the things that we desire. So just right now, let's make an, have an experiment. Just in your mind, what is the most important thing that you want to have right now? What is the thing that you're desiring right now? Don't think about anything spiritual or anything material. Anything. What is number one in your, in your mind right now? What is it that you are desiring, especially for this year, for your life? You may say, oh, I want to have a house. Oh, I want to have a beautiful car. Is that your desire? That's the desire of the flesh. Because the desire of the spirit, the spirit that is connected with the Lord God, is different. The desire of the, of the Christian should always be growth. is spiritual growth. So look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, lay aside all malice, all guile, guile means deception or, or lies, falsehood, hypocrisies, envies, and all, all evil speakings. Okay, so take note in verse 1, it says, you need to lay aside. The word, lay, the phrase lay aside means to throw it and not get, it, get them back. That's what it means by laying aside. Just throw them into the garbage. All these things, all these bad things. And then, what do we do? In order to remove all those things, we need to replace them with the good things. 
So verse 2 tells us, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. How do we grow? We don't grow by just attending church. We don't grow by just attending the Bible studies. We don't grow by, by just ministering to people. We grow by desiring, craving the sincere milk of God's word. The pure, unadulterated, unmixed, with the teachings of the world. Because that's the problem of some Christians. They have the Bible on one hand and the world on the other hand. And they go from one to, to another. One time I go to the world, the next time I go to the Word of God. That's not going to work. You need to feed yourself with the Word of God. Remember, it says here, verse 2, as newborn babes, you might say, I'm no longer a newborn Christian. I've been maturing. I've been growing. No. The Bible says, like newborn babes, continue to desire. Even if you're a Christian, you're a mature Christian, you're a deacon or a pastor or some churches, you're an elder in the church, it doesn't mean that you stop growing. We will continue to grow until we see Jesus Christ face to face. That's why it's in the present tense, desire continue to desire, continue to crave the milk of God's word. What are you craving right now, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you craving for the physical food of the world? Are you craving more of the word of God? The Bible says, desire the sincere milk of God's word. Thirdly, we ask God. Ask God for a spiritual bankruptcy. In Psalm 51, verse 10, King David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You can pray that prayer. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Actually, this was made into a song by someone. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. God wants you to ask Him, you cannot just automatically be spiritually poor and to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to ask Him. If you need wisdom, what do you do? Can you just buy it in Walmart, in bulk price? No, you ask God. And the Bible says He will give you wisdom generously, abundantly, in an overflowing manner. So now next step, how to know if you're spiritually bankrupt. So these are seven. You may need to take this down, but because I believe it's not in the slideshow. So there are seven things which are like the standards to know if you are spiritually bankrupt. Number one, you know that you're spiritually bankrupt or becoming spiritually bankrupt if you are weaned for yourselves. That means you're no longer depending on yourself, but you're depending on God alone. And how do you know that? When there's a small problem or small difficulty, do you go to God right away? Or do you say, oh God, this is a small thing only. I can solve this. This problem. This is a small problem. I just give you all the big problems in my life. You're not being spiritually poor if you're like that. You need to start with the little things. When there are little things that are popping up in your life, 
as a challenge, as a difficulty, as a trial, you go to God right away. Uh, someone told uh, someone told me in the past, and this what the Bible tells us also, not specifically in a in a in a verse, but this what another preacher said. As you grow maturely, you become closer to the Lord God, you become more dependent. When you start as a babe, or perhaps you don't know, have much knowledge about the Bible, you are more independent. You don't seek His help all the time. But as you draw closer, you know His heart, you know His character, and you know that He loves you to beg for everything, even for small, thing, small things in your life, then you become more dependent upon Him. And you know that you are maturing if you become more dependent and more dependent upon Him. But if you right now here and you say, I'm a bit more independent of God right now, then you are not really maturing. You're not growing into spiritual bankruptcy. But it's good to acknowledge that you are in the, still independent of God. So if you know that you're becoming more dependent on Him, then you know that you are growing. You're moving into the right direction. Secondly, you know that you're spiritually bankrupt if you are lost in the wonder of Christ. What I mean is this. You're just overwhelmed with the grace and mercy of God. How marvelous, how wonderful the love of God for me. If everything that you say is like that, God, you are so wonderful, even for the small blessing. You say, God, you are so wonderful. You are awesome. You are better than anything else in this world. You are the best. If you are lost in the wonder of Christ, you are growing in spiritual bankruptcy. Thirdly, if you do not complain about your situation, no matter how bad it may become. If you don't complain, remember the Israelites, 40 years in the wilderness, many times God had grew impatient because they've been complaining to him all the time. Where's the bread? Where's the meat? Where's the water? They don't even see the good things that God has given them. And that's the problem for many of us. I'm saying many of us. That includes me. When we complain, we don't see the wonderful blessings that God has been giving us. We see the glass as half empty rather than half full. And that's what it means by Philippians 4.8. Think on the things that are biblical. Think on the things that are positive in the eyes of God. The noble, the just, the pure, things that are admirable and praiseworthy. That's the problem with what many Christians right now. We see the wars. We see the bad things happening in our life right now. But we don't see the wonderful blessings that God has for all of us. So if you're not complaining about your situation, how, no matter how bad, then you are growing in spiritual bankruptcy. Next, if, you were, if we will more clearly see the strengths and the virtues of others as well as your own weaknesses and sins. So I'm saying, if you are becoming less critical and judgmental of other people and being more critical and judgmental of yourself, then you are becoming spiritually poor. Because that's what the Pharisees are. And we will encounter them. 
at the end of Matthew chapter 4 and also in chapter 7. The Pharisees are like that. They see the people's issues and problems which are smaller compared to their sins and misbehavior in the eyes of God. If you are becoming less critical and less judgmental of others and more critical and judgmental of ourselves, then we are becoming spiritually poor. Number six, number five, if you spend much time in prayer, if you spend much time in prayer, I'm not just talking about quantity of prayer, but quality. You may be praying for half a day for, or even for one whole day, but when, while you're praying, you're dozing to sleep. You're sleeping already. It's much more important to pray less hours, but you are so eager and passionate in reaching out to the Lord God. So if spending much time in quality prayer, then you're becoming more spiritually poor. Because remember, prayer is not just telling God what our needs are, but it's about communicating, conversing, fellowshipping with God, talking to Him just like your best friend. Number six, we know that if we are spiritually bankrupt, if we take Christ on His terms, not on our terms, which means when we do Christ's way rather than God's way, when we follow His standards rather than own standards. I'll give you one example. In some of the churches, especially some Baptist churches, they make this non-verbal um, tradition or rule in quotations that if you go to church, you need to be, especially if you're the pastor, you need to be wearing a tie, dress shirt, and a coat, and dress shoes. And all the ladies should be wearing dress. And that becomes a rule rather than a preference. Because the Bible never tells us that you need to dress in a certain way. The Bible says you need to dress modestly. Of course, the word modestly has different interpretations. But what is important is when you dress up, you're thinking about the Lord God that you're worshiping. Would God prefer you to wear these clothes? Or, or you might say, oh, well, God wants you to wear a coat and tie, but deep inside my heart is complaining. Deep inside my heart is discouraged. Deep inside my heart is angry. I should not be wearing this. Then that's not valid in the eyes of God. When you dress up the way that you did this morning, it should be honoring to God and you ought not to be complaining. And that is Christ's terms, not our terms. Because that's not even written in the Word of God. And we need to be very careful. Because in that way, we can become judgmental and critical of other people also. Oh, how come this, uh, this brother or this sister is not wearing this kind of dress or clothes? Instead of looking at yourself and how you appear before God, we talk about other people. And that's gossiping. That's gossiping. And that's malicious talks also. And that's not honoring to God. We take Christ on His terms rather than our terms. Not only that, in the way we make decisions. When we make decisions, do we follow the Word or do we follow the world again? 
People would say, well, follow your heart. When you're being, uh, when you need to make a decision, you're at the fork of the road, uh, you need to make a choice between two jobs, this job or other job, the world would say, choose the one with the higher pay. But this higher pay will keep you from going to church. This higher pay will keep you from studying the Word of God because you'll be working longer hours. And this higher pay, you will be compromising your faith in some situations. So what decision would you make? Would you make your decision depending upon the Word of God or depending what other people would say or depending what you want or what you desire? That's taking Christ on his terms, not on our terms. Lastly, we know we are spiritually bankrupt if we praise and thank God for his grace. We praise and thank God for his grace. Just like what Ding uh, shared with us in that beautiful song by Laura Story, Grace. Remember, our life as Christians is based on the grace of God. Let me ask you, do we deserve anything even as Christians? Do we deserve anything from God? His grace, His mercy, His love, His salvation? No. We didn't deserve anything. Because if we do deserve all those things, then anybody can be saved if we deserve all these things. God gave us His grace and mercy because we do not deserve them. We cannot earn we do not merit anything that we have right now. Everything comes from God. Lastly, here in Matthew 5.3, we see also the result or the reward of spiritual bankruptcy. God has gladly chosen to give the kingdom to those of us who humbly come to him and trust him. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. So here, in blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reward or the result will be the kingdom of heaven. In Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 32, this is what the Bible says. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He was talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But as we go back to Matthew 5, verse 3, it says, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the present tense, even though in reality we're not in heaven yet, we can presume that we are living in heaven already because we have Christ in our life. We have the Holy Spirit that can empower us to live a godly Christian life. And God has given us the kingdom of heaven. And it's in the present tense because it's a certainty. It's sure. Jesus Christ did not say, blessed are the poor spirit, perhaps they will have the kingdom of heaven. He said, for, because, as a result, as a reward, heaven will be theirs. I know all of you are eagerly to be in heaven so soon. And of course, we are praying that rapture will come very, very soon. And that's the most beautiful moment in our life. Imagine all of us will be like Elijah and Enoch. One day we're walking with God and then we'll be translated into heaven. Our, our bodies like this will be changed into incorruptible bodies. 
What a glorious day that will be, one of the hymns tell us. The kingdom of heaven is where self-sufficiency is not a virtue. In heaven, there will be no more pride. There are no people who are self-sufficient there. They are all dependent upon God. There are also no self-exaltation there. No promotion of self. It is God who promotes people there. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, the Apostle Peter said, We are given an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Thus the description of the kingdom of heaven given to all of God's people. Incorruptible, undefiled means pure. It doesn't fade. doesn't fade just like your jewelries, your watches that you have right now. They don't fade. The kingdom of heaven will not fade and everything that comes with it. And Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabited eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with whom? With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. And what does he do with those people who are repentant and humble in his sight? He will revive the spirit of the humble. He will revive the heart of the contrite ones. Do you need revival? Do you, do you want to become more alive in your faith as Christians? Do you want to grow more and deeper in your life as a Christian? Then go to the Lord as humble as you can, repentant, because He will revive yourselves. So in conclusion, let me ask you this very important question first. Do you see yourself as a spiritual cripple, a beggar who can hope only in Jesus? If you see yourself as that, then you can delight in that. You can rejoice. And if you are spiritually poor and humble in the eyes of other people, be happy, delight, because you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Not only now, but forever. You may not have many titles beside your name. Your, your name may not be then Salamatin, MD, DD, AD, BD, BC, and so on and so forth. So many names, so many titles attached after your last name. You may not have that. But what is important is that Alan Salamatin, Christian, saved by God, forgiven of his sins, a citizen of heaven. That is more important than being in this world. And lastly, knowing that you are spiritually poor, you, not, you need to start spreading the gospel of the kingdom to other people. In John chapter 4, this is the last verse, verses 31 to 36, the disciples brought food to the Lord Jesus Christ after he witnessed to the Samaritan woman who was also adulterous. So the disciples said, Master, eat whatever you, we have brought unto you because you're hungry, you're thirsty. But in verse, verse 32, Jesus Christ said, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Has any man brought him aught to meat? Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. 
Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Look at Richmond. Look at our city. People are hopeless and helpless. Not only physically, but spiritually. If you come to talk to each one of those people, they have something deeper that they really need, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The harvest is wide. That means it's ripe. It's ready for the picking. We need to go out there more. Even during these cool times in our, in our community, we can go out there and tell people about the kingdom. In John 4, 36, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ said, He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. So you see, there's reward with soul winning. Not only that God will call you a blessing, but other people will thank you to the glory of God because they have found Jesus Christ. They have found salvation. And people may not thank you right away. People may be saved. Not at the moment that you told them about the gospel, but up there in heaven, if you brought many people unto the Lord Jesus Christ at the feet of the cross and they were saved, you will find out that in heaven, oh, I didn't know that through the word of God, through the preaching that I did, even for some time, I brought many people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you, would you love that to happen? That will mean you have many crowns that you will offer to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you to go to heaven and then you will look at the other brothers and sisters in Christ. How come there are many crowns? I, I don't have any crown. I'm just here in heaven. God wants us to have crowns and those crowns are the souls that we have won for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that this coming week, that will be your eagerness, that will be your desire to reach out to the lost people. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have made us spiritually bankrupt. You have made us poor in spirit. You have promised us the reward that even right now, while we're here on earth, we have the kingdom of heaven living in us right now spiritually, and we're going to have the reality, the certainty of the physical heaven when we pass on from this world. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us to remain humble in your sight, to remain dependent, to be spiritual beggars at your feet at all times because we cannot be proud of anything that we have because everything that we have already comes from yours, even the salvation, the forgiveness of sins. So help us, Lord, to communicate this message also to the other people in our lives, to the lost people, to our family members, schoolmates, co-workers, and so on. Give us that eagerness, that passion, that fire in our heart to win more souls for the glory and honor of our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.